Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the GnomeCast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here, we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew. I guess y'all had better be good. I'm one of the head gnomes, so I don't have to be good until Angela hears this. But, you know, y'all should be good. That that would be nicest. Uh, this episode here is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers, like the dutiful Doug Ross, the jaunty Jen Pixelscapes Gagney, and the preponderous Panic Productions. Today, we have myself, John, along with Dee and Phil, and we're going to be doing uh, the RPG A Day questions. It's inspired by RPG A Day and by by Angela, who did this dutifully back in August. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to take a prompt from the list and ask our fellow gamers to answer questions inspired by that prompt. Since this is all questions and getting to know people, let's dive right into it. And uh, I'll, I'll ask the first two questions so I can make you all talk first. Oh, God. Um, so, Dee, I'm, I'm going to aim the first one at you. All right. What is the biggest change that has happened in your time as a gamer? And you cannot say the switch to online because of, you know, the current pandemic situation. When you say biggest change, do you mean, let's say, I've had to rapidly shift my gameplay style, how I'm running things, or just like... I'm not really like 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 lead me here. Like like what what is the biggest time like you know the biggest thing that has changed in your time as a gamer? Like maybe you shifted away from playing one game to another, and that opened you up as you know like as a, a GM you know or a player. Like what what has most impacted that just completely changed the way you think as a gamer? Shoot, it, it feels like when someone tell asks me what my favorite book is, and I have to think like. <laughs> But this one and this one and this one. Top five (laughs) books? Which genre? Be specific. (laughs) I'm thinking the biggest change that really uh, changed how I was maybe as a GM was when I saw Sly Flourish's Lazy Dungeon Master like years ago that changed how I saw preparing in general. I, I, I used to write like pages and pages and tomes and tomes of like really strict and almost railroady sort of thing and i've had the case where i've had to throw out entire plot lines just because like players have done a massive change reading that book helped me expedite running games playing games preparing for them and still hitting all the beats because like behind the screen no one knows what's happening no one knows how little or how much you prepared and all that really matters is what they take away from the very moment. And, like, it really captures into this whole death of the author kind of feel, but I'm not going to get into that because I could talk about that for hours. But <laughs> the biggest change for me, 100%, had to have been reading that book. It's like, he recently released a return of the Lazy uh, DM, and that one's also really good and has, like, a lot of updates to it. But the original really cuts everything down to a very trim taste. Hundred percent, though. Recommendo. <laughs> yeah, Phil. Phil knows nothing about you know going from a prep full GM to a prepless GM. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Phil, Phil wrote uh, "Never Unprepared," which is essentially very, very much along that lines: how to prep, and then you know uh, other books focusing on like, yeah, now I kind of prep. I think I prep sometimes. <laughs> I, I have this rule of one page double-sided, and if it can't fit on there, it wasn't important enough. Nice. How about you, Phil? What you got? I mean, like, you wrote a book, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... 
I think I I think the um I think the most profound change that I've had as a GM was probably back in the early 2000s having read Dogs in the Vineyard. There's a great line in Dogs in the Vineyard about the GM's job is to set up the situation but never to never to figure out how to resolve it. And I really internalized that piece of advice into my gaming and it totally changed everything about not only how I GM'd, but how I prepped, how I like how I did everything that that I only ever had to figure out how to set things up and never really had to figure out how to solve anything, leaving that all to the players, the mechanics and and all of that. Uh, and there's a pretty distinct line in the types of games I played and the type of GM I was before reading that and after. And I can pretty much say that that is probably the most distinct change and one I still embrace to today. So, you know, it, it does make my prep lighter because I set things up and I know I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't know how they're going to get out of this, nor do I care. Right. Like we'll figure it out when we get to the table because that's the exciting part. And I vote and I thoroughly enjoy it because it um, as opposed to the earlier days, I wind up surprised all the time at the table. And I love being surprised as the GM. Like, I love when the players, you know, say something and I'm like, uh, yes, you can do that. We just have to make a few roles here. Let's talk about, you know, let's talk about setting up that role and let's see, if, like, let's see what happens. Like, I find that to be that's my favorite part of GMing is when I am thoroughly surprised by my players. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's mine. Uh, John, do you answer your own question in this? Uh, or you know, should. Or are you immune to your own question? What? I have immunity. Uh, no, I, I'm going to answer and then uh, Rob can cut it out and be like, I don't need to hear from that Arcadian guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, yeah. So the biggest change that that has happened and it, it's going to be kind of weird and a little little meta Um Way, way, way back when, when I was, like, writing my first role-playing game book, which was a, a fantasy heartbreaker, well, steampunk anime fantasy heartbreaker cluster of all sorts of things, I, I didn't know enough about the industry when, when uh, me and my buddy started down that path. But I was kind of learning, you know, uh, D&D 2nd Edition and <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade and, you know, kind of, like, just moved on from there, but I'm like, I need to know more about this stuff. And I really kind of went down this hole of playing out all these, like, you know, oh, let me try Cortex. Let me try, you know, this this thing called Iron Claw. Let me try, you know, Fudge at the time. Let me try this. And then... Good when, choices. Yeah. <laughs> but then when I came back to more traditional, heavier games, you know, and, and especially getting into a lot of the smaller indie games, I never quite got into uh, uh, the Dogs in the Vineyard or the Apocalypse World until kind of later in those. <laughs> but, oh yeah. But when I came back, I did play in a Firefly Dogs in the Vineyard, which was phenomenal. Uh, I think Kira ran that. But when I came back to it, the biggest change in my mind was sort of like, oh, honestly, these systems don't quite... They matter, but there's not like, this system is so good, I should always use this one. Like, I, I had this sort of revelation of like, Oh, I really like sort of like the, these these points idea from a lot of these games from the Cortex system, the plot points sort of thing going on here. And, you know, in Fudge, there, there's kind of this, like, any skill you want, you can have. Why can't I just do that in this other, more structured game? Like, you know, it, it sort of, like, made me realize, l like you said, like, at the table, that's 
all that matters. You know, like, you know, like, yeah, I don't care what the rules say. This is the way we're doing it. Like, I'm going to morph that over to give you more control. I'm going to pull it this way. And it does make it a little less clean when you're playing. But honestly, like, unless you're playing a war game and measuring out every little detail and stuff, I, I feel like a lot of those details, it doesn't matter quite matter yeah uh one of my players right now we're thinking of switching from the 3-5 game i'm running as a nostalgia game to 5e because rule 20 just has like yeah click drag click drag click drag and he's like well my familiar won't work the same and i'm like yes it will it will it's fine like don't get hung up on the rules your familiar won't be a spirit it'll still be your familiar i'll i'll cross out the things in the spell and give you a new version of the spell (laughs) that you have it doesn't matter. But but that's something I definitely learned from, like, looking at all these other games. Because prior to playing into those, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I have to, to play this. this I have to play this Cortex system if I want this experience. If I want that Supernatural, I'm like, you know, I could actually probably do that in 3.5 just fine or, you know, D20 and cut out the things that I don't want. So just kind of feeling that freedom to be like, yes, I don't care what the rules say. <laughs> this is my table. I'm going to do what I want. There's some games where, like, that doesn't necessarily apply. For example, Dread. Like, I, I would <laughs> love to play Dread all the time, but I'm like, okay, so how do I apply this to 3.5? Wait, hmm, maybe I can't. See, but I've moved the Dread Tower into 3.5 games and said, like, yeah, here's the madness you're doing as we ah. go along and you face this. And outside of that, it's like, yep, that was the temporary thing. But but you're right. There are some games where you're like, you know what? If I'm going to sit down to play this game to have this experience, I want to stay a little pure to it. Right. You know, but you kind of have to decide that beforehand. All right, Phil, let me kick it over to you and you asking your question. Uh, throw it out there. Grill us. Uh, yeah. Let, so my question, which I will uh, I'll reflect right back on you. Which is what kind of message uh, do you convey in the games that you run? You know, I'm gonna do the thing. What do you mean when? What do you mean by message? Like what? Well, sure. Um, morals, so kind of what? like this. Like what's the subtext of your um, like of your games? Like do your games have a subtext to them? Ah, yes, I get it. Uh, they definitely do. <laughs> in so many of my games, uh, the subtext is weirdly. Learning that there's a multiverse, uh, essentially, <laughs> um, that there is often this sort of like I, I like to take, especially when I see the players, you know, say say we're playing D and D and Forgotten Realms, like open up and start to see the bigger thing that's out there. They're like, no, no, this god is is the thing, and that's what it says in Forgotten Realms, and I'm like let's introduce some planeswalking like you're gonna go you know moving over to this other place for a bit and that's you know like just just understanding the last game i ran was uh prepping for something i'm working on called magica mondonica and so they actually found this interdimensional group of wizards who were like yeah we know magics in a way that y'all can't even understand and so they started to kind of learn that there's rules, but the rules are made to be broken. There's what we know, but there's so much more out there than we can even begin to to think about, you know? So I just, I, I guess I kind of, the message, the core message, the long road to the very small house is <laughs> you can't confine it all. Like, you, you know, you can read the rule books, but your characters will learn there's more out there. You know, there's more than what you can define in these nice little boxes. So I guess I try to make it 
very alive, very, you know, oh, yeah, we can be friends with this goblin. We don't have to, you know, believe they're all these bloodthirsty creatures to bring up all this controversy. And, you know, that, that very stereotypical D&D old school way of doing things. I dig I feel, it. Yeah, I feel it. Yeah. All right. So I guess now it's down to D. Ah, dang it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, can, can I get the question again? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, what kind of message, that, that was the keyword, right, message, uh, what kind of message do you convey in the games that you run? Oof, oof, that's a, that's a good question. Okay, so I've got a pretty strong, like, I like to convey a sense of heroism, but not in the Paragon sense. So, I'm particularly not a fan of Paladins. Because I think the good for good sake, or good because I think so, or good because it's whatever, I think it's a little, like, eh. And I think that a character that doesn't change isn't very interesting to me. So, Superman, I'm not interested in. What I am interested in is dragging the player characters through the dirt and seeing if they can still decide to be good afterwards. I like really making it difficult, and then... And if a person, if a person goes through all that and says, no, I'm still going to do the right thing because I think it's the right thing to do. And not just because someone told me or because my God told me it's because of me. I believe it's right. That's a thing I really want to instill in the various people I run for. Like I can't keep instilling it to the same uh, like group. So eventually I have to like switch it up, but I've run for a lot of like random groups. I've had a lot of pickup games. So if I have any campaign that lasts long enough, I really like to share that philosophy that you can't like, I, don't know, I think real heroes are the ones that get dragged to the dirt and can still get up again and say, I'm going to keep being a good person. I'm not going to let all this bad stuff weigh me down. Yeah, absolutely. They kind of still do the right thing, exactly. even if perseverance, yeah. integrity, those kinds of things. Exactly. And like, yeah. I think like, I think it's kind of naive to just be like, I'm a good person because I'm a good person. And then when you go through the bad thing, they're the ones that are first to fall, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or players are like, no, no, my character wouldn't do that. And it's like, well, well, I can, <laughs> I can, I can show you. <laughs> like, that's, that's nice. Maybe they wouldn't, but prove it to me. Like, exactly. Prove they actually wouldn't do that. I just, I don't know. I've. Like, a lot of people will, I'm tangenting a little bit, but there's a scene in Bojack Horseman, like a fantastic show, where Diane asks herself, what is the, what is the damage that's happened to her life worth? Can it be good damage? Can it be something she can make something out of? And that is a question to, to be asked. Bojack Horseman doesn't really, like, give a direct answer to that, but it does ask that. Can this, is this bad thing going to keep you down? Can you make something good out of it? Hmm. All right. Lovely show. Watch it. I, I, they, <laughs> they don't pay me, but go watch it. But if they wanted to send you stuff, you wouldn't be sad. <laughs> like, it's the same thing when it comes to, like, a lot of games. Like, recently, I just constantly talked about it on Twitter. But, like, I talk about, I've led, like, eight people to watch your thing. Pay me money. <laughs> All right, Phil. Uh, you're going to have to do it, too, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think over the years, I've had... Different messages, but I think the most consistent one I've had in the, uh, I would say like last five or so years is a lot of my games are about community. Uh, I, I don't, I don't do murder hobo. I don't, uh, do wandering adventures. Like I really like 
I really like a sense of community. So like for me, I started playing Numenera and Numenera was pretty good until I went back and started reading the it, it now as two books. And I got to Destiny and I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Like, this is all the game that I wanted. Like, this is like <laughs> take finding weird stuff, we're, we're but good. using it to make your community better. I'm mm-hmm. all about like that for me changed up the game quite a bit like that for like for me that went from this is a cool setting and a cool system that I kind of dig to this is very much a game I can play like I, I can now I can now center this game in a community, a family, that kind of thing. So I, I love um I love community, love found family. I love that kind of thing. And I I bake that into a lot of my games, like a lot of my games have a sense of community that you're doing the things you're doing are not just for you, but you're doing it for the like for the better, the betterment of everyone else. So so what do you do? Because I, I want to follow up. What do you do when like it's obviously easy when a game has mechanics to kind of help sure. you move along or do stuff like that. Um, what do you do when it doesn't like how do you still is it all just narrative or do you kind of like mechanically augment the narrative of like, no, we're saving the village we come from. Uh, so it depends on how much I want to tinker with the game, right? So sometimes I like to run a game really pure. Sometimes I'm, you know, like, whatever, I'll just jam my own stuff in here. So for sure, I can always do this narratively, right? So I can always just have like a story like, hey, can you guys go get me this thing? Or, you know, can you find this thing for me that I'm building and just, you know, have that unfold uh, through the course, you know, through the course of the the campaign like that. That's fine. If, you know, like I sometimes, you know, I will just sometimes stick clocks on things like, you know, I've I I have removed clocks from Blades in the Dark and will stick them wherever I feel like them. One hundred percent agree. It's so good. Clocks. Clocks is a mechanic that I was like, nope, break this thing off. This is (laughs) like I will use this wherever. So throwing clocks down on stuff, saying things like, hey, you know, six narrative things have to happen here before, you know, the community builds their new, you know, power plant. Like, let's play out some adventures that, like, get you closer to that. Or, oh, no, there was a raid on the town and, like, now we've taken away a tick because, you know, you guys couldn't stop the rampaging, you know, monster or something. (laughs) So, yeah, I I will do it pretty much anyway. If the game gives me mechanics, I'm going to lean right on top of them. Uh, If there's no mechanics and I don't want to put anything together, I will just make it all narrative. And if I uh, am so inclined, I will, you know, based on the game that we're playing, I will tinker up stuff that I need to kind of help. I because I like incremental progress, right? If we're playing campaigns, then incremental progress, I think, is uh, is really good. I don't want to just solve anything in one like, oh, one outing. And now we have a power plant, right? Like that's like the that's the, you know, 30 minute TV show solution. I would rather be like, oh, well, here are five things that need to get done. Which one do you guys want to do this week? Cool. Let's you know, mm-hmm. let's work on that. Oh, wait, we're still working on this thing. And then I think there's just a better sense of accomplishment when you've had a few investments into trying to get that thing built up. You'll you also want like a sense of progression that's not necessarily combat slash statistical. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're 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 gonna progress, and the only way of progressing is leveling up. But there's more to it than that. There's everything else that you can build. Yeah, and if and if the thing that they build again, if it isn't mechanized, if the thing that they build is something that I can give like either a bonus to them, like a reward or a narrative reward, like oh hey, you guys fixed that shield generator. Guess what? Now we don't have to have any encounters with people like, you know, running rampant through the town mm. like that's just not going to happen anymore. And then, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, thank goodness. Like 
you know, these getting woke up in the middle of the night fighting creatures that have run into town, like now we can all get a good night's sleep. I, I, and, I, and I trivialize that a little, but I mean, it means something to the players when like that's their lives in the game. Mm-hmm. You're making me want to do a Fallout RPG mm-hmm. just for that. Like, <laughs> all right, so set up the guns and turrets and walls around the settlement. Now we'll build places for everybody to sleep yeah, now that you're not getting I mean, slaughtered in the night. Right. Yeah. I play a lot of yep. Minecraft, so yes, building stuff is, you know. Uh, Can you build right. turrets in Minecraft? I don't play Minecraft. Oh, you gotta get you gotta get into modded Minecraft. You can't play like ah. vanilla Minecraft doesn't do that, but when you get into the and there's a huge community of mods, the amount of technology and stuff that you can uh mm-hmm. that you can get into is pretty vast. My my wife just got into Minecraft with a friend of ours and immediately she's like, Oh, he's like, Oh yeah, here I'll show you how to build a house. She's like, This person has a house. A person, the one I just killed, it's now my house. Like, she went full dark in the first 20 seconds of playing that. It's like, oh this my is my God. catharsis. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's jump it to D. Uh, D, ask your question. I'm going to say, like, keep Phil in the hot seat. Make him talk. <laughs> okay, Phil, come on. Okay, so I assume we've all played for, like, a sufficient amount of time, right? There have been cases where we've, like, moved into, say, planar adventures or, you know, moving across different dimensions and such, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is your favorite and or the most effective way you've pivoted that? Like, oh, by the way, here's a random portal. Uh, oh, by the way, here's uh, some random person being, uh, there's a letter coming from another dimension. Have, have you pivoted? I, I think my favorites, and I'm thinking of one game that I ran in the like probably like a year or so ago. I, I think one of my favorites is when another dimension decides to invade. So oh. I I liked like I like when one when like one dimension is like which is clearly aware of all the other dimensions, even if the players aren't, and they're just like, you know what, y'all have to go. So like I ran this masks game where. Um, the I don't even want to get into the whole cosmology of it, but nevertheless, Tesla, who was pushed out of our dimension, was attacking the entire time stream while he was waging war with the 32nd century and was waging a, a, <laughs> Nikola a, Tesla. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh it, my God. It's a, it, I, it would be way too. It would be a whole episode to explain how <laughs> that comes to be. But um, I, I kind of want to do that episode. That would be fun. Yeah. Oh my God. Tesla and what was left of Buffalo, New York, uh, was uh, <laughs> was launching an assault on on this uh, this dimension and this timeline. And and I just I love um, because it just throws people off like it, it like things look normal. But then like when they look closely, they're like, why are these like like why are these steampunk guys with electro guns running around the street like in the middle of the masks game? Right. Like. It's that juxtaposition that I really like. And then, you know, I uh, after that, then, you know, if then, you know, we, we want them to cross over into the other dimension and we want the dimension to cross over like all of that. But I love the first strike. OK, well, that's nice. All right, John, you up next. I'm going to I'm going to lean back for uh, for the last question here. OK. All right. So I think I can top that as a fun interdimensional story. I'm not trying to top that, but I have screwed with my players with interdimensional stuff so i i ran this game and i set it in a homebrew world called lamia which is uh, another na- a greek name for the river uh lathe where if you get dipped in it you forget all your memories so the backstory of this world was that 15 years ago the apocalypse was about to occur and a couple of heroes uh, you know the 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 you know children of destiny prevented it 
mostly. Rather than, like, the spirits of the undead going out and killing everybody and turning everybody into undead, they were able to stop it and make it so that they just made everybody in the world forget. Like, the spirits still, like, invaded. They just, everybody who was, you know, touched by these spirits forgot who they were and what they were. Except for this one town of uh, necromancers who use spirit magic, and what they did was they bonded with spirits from Limbo, so they would, like, be reborn. They would still have skills. They wouldn't go savage. They would still have skills, right? Well, so what, what that was, was this one city-state became an empire, and they would go out with expeditionary forces beyond their borders into the savage, you know, apocalyptic world that once was, and reclaim and go and bring people back in. And they would bond them with a spirit through this necromancy, and make them like, you know, not like I've only had like 15 years or 10 years of civilization of some sort, you know, coming from zero back up to civilization. And they'd be like, oh, I have blacksmithing skills now when I remember how to be a person in a civilized society. It's just one from 400 years ago. So, yeah, what do you need me to do for the empire, right? So the expedition forces kept going out and out and finding other stuff and you know, learning about, like, the world and, you know, reclaiming vast amounts of, you know, the overgrown apocalyptic. And then they started to realize something was off. Something was wrong. And they started to learn more. And they did this one mission for the Empire and traveled through this tunnel in essentially the Underdark, like, went in this big underground tunnel, and came out in another world that was pretty normal. Because what happened was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, these heroes did stop the apocalypse by splitting off a chunk of the world. So their big continent or, or like country sized area, you know, like, like, let's just say it was the size of Ohio or so, or like Great Britain, was the chunk of the world that got shoved off into its own dimension. So they're like, wherever they in their dimension, that's like this bubble dimension off of the real world. Wherever they reclaimed people from the forgetfulness, in the real world, the undead spirits were, were traversing out with them. So if they reclaimed 100 miles of land, in the real world, undead spirits, like, overtook 100 miles of land. So in the real world, people were trying to push back Lamia. They just didn't know, because Lamia was just working in its own sort of area. So they, the, the heroes, like, are one of the few, and they started to, like, interact with gods and some of the necromancers who were working with them like kind of ascended to godhood um and the necromancers like took this vow of silence and covered their faces were all women wearing like white robes and like you know one of these became kind of like ascended to godhood and was like i have to leave it in your hands i can't affect fate anymore so they had to decide do they keep dooming the real world or explode the bubble of their world because, like, things were becoming unstable between these two linked, you know, like, yeah, you have to sacrifice one or the other or they're both going to blow up. So so they did a, you know, trying to get everybody right. to that tunnel and get them out to the real world, as many as they could. And then they, they blew up the other world. So, so I just, oh. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, hey, you, you've got this mission. You've got this mission from the Empire. And like, all right, we're at the 15th session mark. Here's the truth about your world. Decide. Oh. Y'all. 
Okay, maybe I should have gone next because I don't want to. I didn't want to follow that. Oh my gosh! When my players found out when they realized what was going on, they were like, "Oh, oh, because because I gave them just enough time to build up their backstories and who they were, and they kind of had this for the empire where like we're the last hope of of you know sapiency because we're the only ones you know right. civilization's gone if we don't reclaim from from you know." The forgetfulness and it's like nope that's not gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> wow okay so i'm up my favorite way i've pivoted so i have this npc i bring them in only every once in a while and i only bring them typically when like i'm playing very intense like uh, more structured games so pathfinder 3.5 yada yada what i've loved to do is okay let me explain this NPC. His name is Archie. He's an interdimensional merchant. He speaks with a he speaks with a southern accent, uh, and he has a cowboy hat, and he's a beholder. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So Alright. He is an interdimensional merchant beholder. I have a whole like series of posts uh in like an old blog that I think I need to delete. But either way, uh <laughs> um so the idea behind them is Honestly, it's just it. He's the interdimensional cowboy merchant beholder, and he always he always talks in a southern accent. And he like when he starts, um, you find random silver keys uh, scattered about. That when you like grab it, you get this weird implicit feeling to like stick it in a door and like twist it, and then like opens up a portal into like his like sub dimension, which is connected to a bunch of other planar adventures. And he's like, howdy. I'm not going to kill y'all. I'm just here to sell you things. I love Archie. It's because great. everyone's like, everyone's like, oh no, this guy is terrible. He's going to kill me. His full name is Archie Deluxe Mazdio Zina for more Kayla Lararis. Awesome. Archie. And I always introduce it the same. And I'm going to give y'all this introduction. On a floating island, before you spot it... A horrific giant creature the size of a dozen men, spiky black tendrils flaying about as a mouth of gnashing teeth, line up in a razor-sharp grin. What is most prominent, however, is the singular, massive eye encompassing its entire body. It is the creature of legends, slayer of men, destroyer of parties. It is a beholder, wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> Howdy, y'all, what can I do for you? <laughs> Love him. <laughs> Love Archie. That is phenomenal. Um, uh, he has every item that you can feasibly want other than artifacts. He has some artifacts. Don't worry about it. Um, and instead of like eye stalks, he has these kind of like tendrils that he can use to grab and juggle things. Like one of the first things he loves to do as a party trick is pull out like five Vorpal longswords and start juggling them. And he's just like, it's a party trick. <laughs> and so, wow. I've had parties try to kill him. They typically fail because he's a boulder with 20 levels in, like, bard. <laughs> but he, the one thing I have designed about him is that his hat is an artifact in that it grants you unparalleled, like, persuasion and a need to, like, sell things. It gives you, like, this little portal that you can always open up and just, like, pull items out of. Also, if you don't speak in a southern accent... Within 24 hours, you start growing tendrils, and every time you fail to speak in a southern accent, you gain one more tendril. 
And once you get all 10, you become another version of him. <laughs> he just revives through you. It's like, it's like Haster, then the living, like, you know, yellow cloak, except a cowboy merchant. It's like the eye of Vecna, but the hat of Archie. Exactly. The hat of Archie. Cursed artifact. Really great. I love him. And like, I can literally insert him to almost any setting. Even if it's tech, even if, because he's just like, I'm just a guy, I'm just, I'm just a poor old guy trying to make, uh, you know, trying to make ends meet. You know what I mean? He'll send people out on like planar adventures. He'll tell them, yeah, by the way, there's a whole multiverse. You want to go to one? I can open the door. <laughs> You'll have to find one of my keys again if you want to get back here. But, you know, it's a whole thing. So he becomes a merchant hub. Also, he takes payment in souls. Yeah, Not like do. soul souls. But if you say, all right, uh, I'll sell you my soul for like X much. It's like, okay, great. I'm going to, it's more like a rental system. I want your soul for about 235 years. <laughs> and then you can go on about your day. And so you kind of just have to work for him for 235 years if you want like a really legendary weapon. You know, I I might be tempted. Yeah, yeah more talent. Yeah, I, I may have to steal Archie for my game. I may, oh, I had may have fair. to snag him. Yeah. I posted them one time a long, a long time ago to like uh, to some sites, and I got like forty people being like, "Hey, I'm gonna just take him. Is that fine?" <laughs> I'm like, "Sure." There's always an Archie, and he connects all worlds. Don't worry about it. All right. It. Well, I I just found a silver key, so I think I need to go deal with Archie. <laughs> so we need to to wrap this up, so I can I can go get my uh my 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 Everything. my. My uh, negotiations on to see uh, how long he'll give me, uh, you know, for for the ability to speak to crows. How long he needs my soul for that? So ten years, ten years, easy. Oh, I'm down, done. Uh, all right. So this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by. Come up with something or ask Ange to do it. Oh, dang it! All right. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is by Archie's Interdimensional Emporium. No, exactly. Yeah, no, done, done. This ad is brought to you by Archie's Interdimensional Emporium. You can get anything you want here for the small, small price of a little bit of your soul, a little bit of your time. Uh, I don't keep it all. I just, you know, keep it with me for a couple of hundred years, dust it off, give it back to you. How do you feel about that? Archie's Interdimensional Emporium. Find a silver key and you'll find your way in. <laughs> If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. The bonus experience. Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. All right, you can find us all at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Gnomes, uh, where else can we find you on the internet? Deep? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and eventually a YouTube. I'm, uh, I'm starting to open up Dice Queen D. Check me out, uh, and that's D with a D I. Dice Queen D I. Yes. All right, Phil. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DNA Phil, and then of course you can always find me both on the Misdirected Mark podcast streaming live 8 p.m. Eastern Tuesdays, uh, and uh, you can find me on Pandas Talking Games. All right. And uh, I, John Arcadian, can be found wherever good John Arcadians are bartered or sold. Uh, if you find me on Twitter, that would be amazing because I'm sometimes there. Uh, but yeah, if you Google me, you will find me or my doppelbro, which is interesting and, and of itself. Is that actually your brother? 
no, 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 no. It's a dude who looks a little like me and uses the name John Arcadian, even though it's not his real name, and does really, wow. really crappy guitar Arcadian it's stars. A cool name. I don't blame him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and and then says a bunch of really weird, racist, bad things. And it's like, <laughs> okay. oh, mm-hmm. okay. oh, yeah. All right. So, anyways, uh, so uh, I'm supposed to ask if you think we avoided the stew this week, but uh, you know, I, I like it. I, I I think y'all avoided the stew, and uh, I'm I'm gonna go start dealing with Archie. Sounds good. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. <Okay. laughs> I should have gone last. Uh, Rob, just edit this to be last.